Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. This has been a pretty great week. I've been able to spend some time inside of China for the first time in a while. Of course, I was there just a week ago and back again this week. One of the things that I have really found amazing is how China feels after the pandemic. I've been able to meet together with some of the people that run our projects for Back to Jerusalem inside of China, spend some time with them face-to-face, which I've done with them outside of China in the three years of this pandemic, but I haven't really been able to sit together with them in China. Now I'm really looking forward to traveling around, meeting together with the teams that are in Western China and spend some time together with them. Right now, as I'm doing this podcast inside of China, it is approaching Easter weekend. So we're going to be taking a bit of a pause and celebrating or recognizing the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the sacrifice that brings us all salvation, the reason I'm in China to begin with, and why today China has hope. We have hope because of the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I want to do a special Easter podcast, a a special Fohojie podcast. Fohojie is the Chinese word for Easter. They don't use the word Easter. They actually use the word resurrection life celebration or um, a holiday, I guess you could say. Jia is like the word that we often use for holiday. And this comes at a very interesting time in China where we have kind of the collision of Resurrection Day and Qingming Festival. Qingming Festival is a special holiday that we have inside of China. We just celebrated it as the National Day on April 5th. Uh, April 5th is the Qingming Festival Day. And what this is, is a day of cleaning graves. If you're not familiar with Chinese customs or holidays, every year... The Chinese pay respect to their elders, to their, the former generations, the ancestors. And they go to those graves, they clean those graves, and then they'll often leave a special memento or offering at those graves. They clean them off, they spend some time remembering the ancestors that have gone before them. So the graveyards right now are packed in China. A little bit like Memorial Day, I guess you can kind of connect those two. But one of the things that makes Qingming Festival interesting is the fact that it it means like the holiday of light or the holiday of glory. It is, I mean, we can call it a Memorial Day or the Day of the Ancestors or a grave cleaning day, but the word Qingming actually means this idea of having light that points back to other generations. And we can go back and see the the ancestors in the past 600, 700 years BC, before Christ, when this festival became more well-known. From a um, 
a kind of a, a, a very important, prominent figure in Chinese history that was known to be loyal to his ruler, to his king. And the king gave out many things to those that followed him honorably, but there was one that was kind of looked over. And he wanted to find this individual. The king wanted to find this individual to repay him. This person gave his life for the king. In fact, at one time, there's even a story that he cut his thigh to make soup with his blood to feed the king. This idea of someone following the king or giving his life and his blood for the king. And that the Chinese celebrate today while going to the graveyards. It's, it's, there's an interesting kind of connection. I haven't really dug that up much more than just recognizing it during this week and, and sharing a little bit with you. But what I find interesting is this. Throughout Christian history, we've always had kind of a debate. I'm going to refer to them as Christian purists and secular Christians. Now, that is an oversimplification, and I know that. I'm just going to do it for the purpose of this podcast and say that there's always been a debate between Christian purists and secular Christians, especially as it refers to this weekend as we remember the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whenever we talk about Easter, there's always Christians that talk about, you know, Happy Resurrection Day, that refuse to call it Easter. You also have Christians that will be this weekend or during this week putting up photos on social media of their children or their church going out and doing an Easter egg hunt. And Christians in their circle will attack them, accusing them of being ignorant, of following false gods pagan gods. They will remind them that nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are to use eggs and Easter bunnies to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They will point to Constantine being involved in this secret betrayal of all Christians by enforcing this idea of mixing the Uh, pagan gods together with Christianity so that it would lead all world Christians into paganism following after the pagan gods. There's truth to this debate. I I brought it up during Christmas and now I'm going to bring it up for Easter because uh, Christmas is another time that we often hear this debate between Christian purists and secular Christians. And in many ways, this debate goes back to the beginning of Christianity when Christ found himself in the middle of the debate between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. In fact, the only thing that the Sadducees and the Pharisees could agree on was the persecution of Jesus Christ. They were both wrong in their interpretation of the Torah and waiting for the return of the Messiah. So when we hear this debate today about the word Easter, the celebration of Easter, the things involved in celebrating Easter with Easter egg hunts and the Easter bunny and the Easter egg baskets that are given out to children and the the celebrations that we have in this connection. I want to share about Easter in a way that most people have never heard about before. I want to look at Easter 
from the viewpoint of the Chinese underground house church and the vision of Back to Jerusalem. This weekend is a time when we remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. End of story. That is the most important thing. Regardless of whether you do that with Easter eggs or without Easter eggs, whether you believe that Easter is okay for us to celebrate with the term Easter as well as with the Easter egg hunts and the Easter bunny and the Easter basket, or you believe that those things pollute the message, they destroy the faith and should be held in a more pure, absolute form where Easter, Easter eggs, Easter bunnies, Easter egg baskets should be abolished. Whether you believe in the purest vision <clears throat> or the Easter egg vision of the, the Christian secularist. Let me just share how the underground house church remembers this sacrifice of our Lord and Jesus Christ because they don't have a dog in the fight, so to speak. They refer to this holiday as Fuhodia, which is the direct translation of resurrection of life celebration. Many Christians around the world might like the Chinese translation of Fuhojia or Resurrection Life Celebration rather than the English translation of Easter. For many of you probably listening to this podcast or probably yelling at the speakers right now because you feel that there's a strong connection to the Germanic pagan traditions of the fertility gods and every year around this time, there's always a debate that you feel that you have to take up and Come at and educate individuals like me. And this debate can get ferocious. Many of you listening to this podcast are probably very passionate about your beliefs and the research that you have done in being a Google expert on the celebration of Easter. But when we're looking at Pasha or Passover, there, it's very easy to see that Easter is idol worship. And you have a lot of things that you can point to. You, you can point to the roots of Easter with the Easter bunny, the Easter eggs, the Easter baskets, being the roots of this found in ancient practices from Germanic paganism. But the Chinese vision of back to Jerusalem finds hope in the word Easter, whether you're a purist or a Christian secularist. And I want to share it with you in a way that you've probably never seen before. In the Hebrew Bible, <coughs> Passover commemorates the liberation of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. That's what the Passover is, is when the death angel passed over God's people because he could see that the blood of the lamb was on the doorposts of God's people, which is this foresight of Jesus. We look at this through the eyes and the lens of Christology. And it, this is the most important Jewish festival celebrated on the first moon after Equinox. On Passover, if we read through the New Testament, we see that Jesus celebrated it. In his last celebration of Passover, he traveled from the east to Jerusalem. And this is significant. It directly relates to the word Easter. And 
as a purist or a secularist, you need to know this. Because Jesus entered into Jerusalem from the east, going west in a triumphal procession, and it created a disturbance in the Jerusalem temple. At first, when we look at this, the direction of Jesus' Passover travel doesn't really seem to be significant. But a closer look, my friends, reveals something of extreme significance here that you cannot ignore. A pattern emerges, and this pattern directly relates to the return of Jesus Christ. The pattern is this. In the Old Testament and the New, God's presence always moves from east to west. It's a movement that originates in the east and it moves westward. The movement of the priests for the Passover sacrifice itself, which Jesus was partaking in, was from east to west. The movement of Jesus during Passover is from east to west. The movement of the gospel itself in the book of Acts goes from east to west. And the foretold return of Jesus Christ goes from east to west. This is significant. From the very beginning, the Lord's presence was with mankind. When? When the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and put man there that he had formed. This is according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. So this takes place in the very beginning. After mankind's rebellion, after the fall of man, man turns against God. What happened? Human beings, man, was banished. They were banished. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were kicked out of the direct presence of God. Where were they pushed? To the east. In fact, there was only one angel, one cherubim, that was positioned that we know of at the Garden of Eden. And where was he positioned? Where was he stationed? At the east gate. That's according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. You see, Adam and Eve, when they, when they rebelled against God, they were sent eastward. The further east they went was the further uh, from the presence they got from God. To re-enter into the presence of God, we see throughout the Old Testament that they have to move from east to west. They have to move in this westward direction. In biblical imagery, the further human beings get away from God, the further east they go. This concept of east to west is further illustrated when Cain kills his brother Abel. I had to think of his name there for a minute. What happens to Cain? Quote, Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, which is east of Eden, according to Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. I want to take it from Genesis because there we have the simplification of the beginning, the origins of man. Before things get too polluted, too complicated, from the very beginning we get simplicity. And in that simplicity we see that God brings man to him from east to west. He pushes man away from him from west to east. 
When man approaches God, he goes from east to west. When he moves away from God, it's from west to east. In practice, it seems to say that biblically, this concept of going from the west means moving towards God's presence. And moving to the east means moving away from God's presence. This is an illustration that is not by accident and it's found throughout the carefully constructed Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And it's even reflected in the temple sacrifices themselves. Guys, this is not by accident. Easter, or the Eastern movement going from east to west, is prominent during the story of Passover or Easter. The fashioning of the temple and the, the temple and sacrifices, they all point westward movement of the gospel and the return of the Messiah from the east moving west. Both the temple and the tabernacle were always built. Think of this. From the time that the tabernacle was a tent, you know the tent wasn't just put up any old place. And it wasn't put up in any old way. There was a direction to enter the tent and there was a direction to exit the tent. There was a direction to enter the temple and move into the temple towards God's presence. And there was a, a direction to walk out of the temple or exit the temple and move away from God's presence. Those approaching God into the temple, whether it was through the tabernacle of the tent or the, the temple of, of the, the brick and mortar building, there was only one entrance. Where was it? To the east. And to approach God, you could only go westward. There was only one entrance and one exit to the temple, and that was to the east. And God's presence was always at the holiest of holies which is at the West. Why do you think today when the Jews pray, or even when Christians go to join the Jews to pray, they go where in Jerusalem? To the Western Wall. Why? Because the Western Wall was the holiest of holies. That's where the presence of God was. And, and this set God's temple apart from all the pagan temples. Because the pagan temples, and even those that desecrated the holy temple, did so by facing the opposite direction. We see this more clearly in Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. The very first tabernacle set up at Mount Sinai by Moses himself only had one entrance from the east. One could not merely stroll into the temple from any old direction, from the north, from the south, from the east, to the west. You had one approach towards God, and that was from the east to the west. This movement represented leaving behind the sin of man and moving towards God. Think about this. How does the priest move in the temple? Today, when the people pray in Jerusalem, they pray at the western wall to remember that the priest moved from east to west. The far end of the temple, where the holiest of holies was located, was at the western part. This is not by accident. And when you left from the presence of God, you left to the east. The opening to the tabernacle always faced east. And what happens to the east? When you think of the east, what do you think of the east? Just as surely as the sun rises where? In the east. The sun rises in the east and moves westward. So when the, when the sun rises, 
And the way that the temple was built, the entrance to the temple faced the east. And on Easter, the sun directly rises over the Mount of Olives from an easterly direction and shines from the east to the west directly into the temple. The only time frame that this happens is the morning of the equinox during Easter. The sun rises directly over the Mount of Olives, and that is when you have this perfect shining through, straight, illuminating the entrance all the way to the holiest of holies where God's presence dwelt on earth. This sunshine, in so many ways, is the messianic symbol of entering into the presence of God. And that's why we see Jesus himself coming through the eastern gate. On good, when, when Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, he enters into the gates from east to west, coming from Bethany or the Mount of Olives area, down into Jerusalem from an east to west movement. This is not by accident. This is not by accident. When the greatest amount of sunshine comes into the temple is during Passover. Again, not by accident. So when we use this word Easter, does it have reference to paganism? Well, the God, the Eastern God, the God that is often referred to as the, the, the God of Easter, where this name comes from, is also very similar to the word that we get for Esther. God uses Esther for his purpose. Does he deny Esther because she has a pagan name? Esther has a pagan name. It's not a Jewish name. Esther is not a Jewish name. It comes from the Persian language. And we have this word Easter also coming from the, 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 a pagan language. It comes from the old Germanic word Öster. I know this because I speak Swedish and Swedish is a Germanic language and we use the same word for East. In fact, I work with a ministry in Sweden called Jusi Öster, which means light in the East. This word is where we get the English word Easter. And it's key to unlocking the power of scriptural understanding of direction as it points to the return of Jesus Christ. Ezekiel recognized this important when he gave the cardinal direction when he observed the temple itself facing east with a river flowing east. It says this, quote, then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the gate of the house of the Lord that faces east. Ezekiel 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 1. He says it again in chapter 47, verse 1 and 2. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water coming down from, the un, from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me through the north gate and led me around to the outside of the altar, the gate facing east. Not only did the tabernacle and the temple face east, but so too did the ceremonies. For instance, when somebody presented a sacrifice to the Lord, it wasn't just done willy-nilly. 
it had to be done with towards where, where the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice was facing towards the eastern entrance, which means they were looking west from the east. Look at Leviticus chapter 1 verse 5 to verify this, where even the sacrifice was facing westward. With the slaughter itself taking place, with the slicing of the throat going from east to west, quote, if the offering to the Lord is burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring, shall bring it to the altar, wring off the head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained on the side of the altar and is to be removed from the crop and the feathers throw them down east of the altar where the ashes are. Compare this to the idea in Psalms 103, verse 12, that says, As far as the east from the west, so far he removed my transgressions from us. Guys, this east to west focus was reinforced as the priests moved even to the holiest of holies. Jesus made his entry into the temple from east to west. The sacrifices took place from east to west. The temple, the, the, the temple itself was laid out to be approaching God from east to west. When man was pushed away from the presence of God in the very beginning with Adam, he was pushed further east and to approach God, he had to come west. This directly relates to the back to Jerusalem vision of the Chinese missionaries that focus on the same east to west manner of movement. This relates to the very first movement of the missionaries or the evangelists or the disciples in the book of Acts starting already in chapter 2 when the disciples move from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem in chapter 1. And then we follow Peter going from Jerusalem all the way to Joppa in chapter 10, a east to west movement. And then following Paul, going from Israel all the way to Europe through Asia Minor, an east to west movement. This is not by accident. So when you hear the word Easter or this, this movement of the gospel moving from an eastern direction, moving westward from east to west, use this word Easter not as a product of division. Not as one that should be argued on who follows pagan gods and who doesn't, but as one that reminds us of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the movement of the gospel that will usher in the return of Jesus Christ. A gospel message that started in Jerusalem and is making its way around the world in a westerly direction, going back to the place it all began, moving from Jerusalem around the world, back to Jerusalem, where at the end, all of the nations will have been preached to. All of the unreached people groups will have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And according to Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. This section, if you are at all interested, I write about specifically and in more detail. I also give the sourcing of all the information that I just presented in our latest book called China and End Time Prophecy. You can get that on our website. I would love 
to be able to share with you more about this Eastern movement that goes from east to west, just as the sun rises in the east and moves to the west. Like the return of the Son of Man, like lightning in the sky striking from east to west, so too will the return of the Son of God be. I thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. I pray that this weekend, may the presence of Jesus be upon you, the remembering of his sacrifice, the blood that was shed for your sins and your salvation, and the resurrection that gives us all hope. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. God bless.